This podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome to Master the MRC PCH. In this podcast, we tap into the expertise here at Great Ormond Street Hospital, giving you an overview of a topic on the RCPCH curriculum. You may be revising for an exam or just fancy brushing up on a need-to-know topic. I'm Emma, an anaesthetic registrar and the Digital Learning Fellow at GOSH. I'm joined this morning by Dr. Sebastian Hendricks, the consultant in paediatric audio-vestibular medicine at Great Ormond Street, for a two-part episode on hearing impairment in children. In this first part of the episode, we will be covering common causes of hearing impairment, as well as discussing how children with hearing impairment commonly present. This corresponds to the respiratory and ENT section of the MRC-PCH syllabus, as well as the section on neurodevelopment and neurodisability. We hope you enjoy the episode. So thank you so much, firstly, Dr. Hendricks, for coming on the show and talking to me today. My pleasure to be here and being able to maybe educate people about a few things around hearing. Thank you. Fantastic. So can I start by asking, what would you like people to get out of this podcast today? To have a slightly better and more detailed understanding about hearing, hearing loss and hearing impairment, and maybe look at it in a slightly different light from what they've seen it before. Sure. Okay. So what do we mean by a hearing impairment? It sounds like maybe an obvious question, but is there a formal definition to be aware of? There isn't any formal definition of it. And you could start to think, what is hearing impairment? What is hearing loss? What is deafness? They all seem to describe more or less the same thing, but they are slightly different. So usually when we talk about hearing loss, we mean the loss of a function of hearing where you lose part of the hearing function of the peripheral ear. Hearing impairment, on the other hand, would include things like auditory processing difficulties or any way where the ability to understand, hear, sounds might be impaired. And that could go into hyperacusis, so the increased sensitivity to sounds and being able to handle that. As I said before, auditory processing disorders. And then we have what's called the deafness. Now, there are differences. The deafness written with a capital D and the deafness with a small d. The small d deafness is usually used synonymously with the hearing loss or hearing impairment, whilst the capital D deafness mainly comes from the people who use British Sign Language and describe the capital D deafness as the complete loss of functional hearing and therefore people who use sign language and it almost has a cultural component to it. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And I think important to just kind of acknowledge that hearing impairment and deafness and hearing loss actually can't be used interchangeably. I guess I always thought of hearing impairment as a loss of hearing, but actually it could be other issues like processing issues or even the the opposite hyperacusis as well. So that's really interesting. Yeah. How common is hearing impairment within the paediatric population? Yeah, if we look at the different stages and you need to look at it through the time a child or young person grows up because there's a change in the number of children with hearing loss as they get older. So we know that about one in two of a thousand newborn babies are diagnosed with hearing loss each year. 
but at the level of hearing loss in those who have to be in neonatal intensive care unit because they're not well for more than 48 hours, it's about one in a hundred. That figure then rises to about four in thousand during infancy. And a lot of that is temporary hearing losses, so not permanent ones. And then when we come to school age entry, a further 2% or 20 in thousand have some degree of hearing loss. And perhaps the permanent hearing impairment is about two to three per thousand at that age. In the winter periods, uh, if you go in schools, you might find people up to 20% who have some degree of hearing loss. And that's mainly temporary due to the colds affecting the middle ears and therefore then the hearing function overall. So their conductive hearing losses, but they can have a significant impact on the hearing of those children and their early learning, phonics, and some other foundations for learning. So although one thinks conductive temporary hearing losses are of not such a big deal because they will disappear at some stage, they can have a significant impact on the child as well. Okay, that brings us kind of on to our next topic, which is thinking about causes of hearing impairment. So can you give me an overview of what the common causes are or do you have any way of classifying the causes? Because you said that it could be, for example, commonly temporary versus permanent. And then also, I guess it could be different according to the, to the age of the child as well. So could you just give me an overview of some of the common causes of hearing impairment? Oh, yeah, certainly. So as I just said, the colds are possibly the biggest reason for a hearing loss. So with upper respiratory tract infections, we get a blocked or runny nose, which can then block the eustachian tube, which is the connection between the middle ear and the back of the nose through the swelling of the lining in the nose with the upper respiratory tract infection. Then that tube gets blocked and the middle ear can't drain its fluid away. Air can't get into the middle ear and we get what we call middle ear fusions on otitis media with the fusion is the proper term. And if we've got fluid in the middle ear, then it's more difficult for the sound to pass through this. The eardrum might be more difficult to move if it moves against water, similar to your hand in water comparison to your hand moving in air. And with this middle ear fusion, it can cause a hearing loss and it can have an impact on the child during that period, in particular during winter months when upper respiratory tract infections are quite common and that can have a significant impact on those children. Of permanent hearing losses, a very a prominent cause of that is pseudomegalovirus, which is infection that can cause not more than just cold symptoms in older people or older children. But in the unborn child, it can actually cause significant problems. In about one in 200 babies are born with CMV, and approximately 10% of those can have hearing impairment. So that's a significant chunk of children. The others are genetic hearing losses, and we estimate that they form 30 to 50% of those with hearing losses. But not in all cases, we actually have a genetic variation that explains this genetic inheritance of hearing loss. Yet the 100,000 Genome Project and our genetic testing at the time is constantly enlarging that field. But just from looking at it and how hearing loss can run in families, we know that genetics are quite common cause of hearing loss. 
So other possibilities of hearing loss are then either a noise trauma, someone listening to sounds too loud or being exposed to loud bangs. Fireworks can be a reason. Obviously, people who live in war zones and are exposed to that noise can have it, the hearing loss. Severe head injuries can go along with hearing losses. Viral and bacterial infection. So CMV, as I said earlier, rubella, hemophilus, meningococci or streptococcus pneumonia meningitis can cause severe and profound hearing losses very, very quickly. And then there are also medications that can cause hearing losses because they either directly or indirectly cause problems to the sensory cells in the inner ear. So aminoglycoside antibiotics are well known to can cause hearing losses, chemotherapy in the same way, which is often needed to treat very serious illnesses in children. And sometimes the hearing loss just needs to be accepted in order to get the child better for cancer. And then there are also autoimmune reasons for hearing losses. So if you have an autoimmune illness, some of those can cause hearing losses in the children because they affect the inner ears as well and the structures of the inner ear. Right. Okay. So I guess similar to other medical conditions where you have that kind of surgical sieve, we used to call it in medical school. So infection, autoimmune, drug-related causes. So hearing impairments, no different to that really. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's always important to look at the whole child and the whole body and when you want to find out what the reason for the hearing loss is. Absolutely, yeah. Are there any risk factors for hearing impairment in children? So I know you mentioned earlier that being admitted to a NICU seems to be an association. Are there any particular risk factors that have been identified? Yes. So again, starting with a more common one, risk factors for otitis media with effusion also called gluea, is more common in children who are exposed to smoking, which fortunately has decreased significantly over the years. Being exposed to a lot of other infections, so for children who are in childcare or live in families with older children or who go to school and therefore carry the viruses that are present in the general population around and get children exposed to those and then the body forms their responses to those viruses. Other risk factors can be genetic mutations. So I talked about the genetics of hearing loss. There are some variations which may make a person more susceptible to the autotoxicity of certain drugs. And that is something we can test for and do so in children who then will receive these medications regularly or are supposed to receive them to being able to make an informed decision if it is a reasonable thing to treat them with this. Other risk factors are hearing loss. It sometimes, again, runs in families and therefore that is one of the risk factors in adults. If you have problems with your blood pressure or clotting, that can cause and be a risk factor for hearing loss and everything that goes along with the difficulties in the neonatal period, everything that affects a child's health can usually be a risk factor for hearing loss. So moving on now to think about presentation, how do children or even younger infants and neonates with hearing impairment usually present? Yeah. So how children with hearing loss present themselves depends on the degree and impact of the hearing loss. 
Some children are only detected through the newborn hearing screening or school entry hearing screening program and do not realize that they actually have a hearing loss. And some children are found to have a delay in their speech and language development or seem not to listen when spoken to, just then to find out that they can't hear and therefore can't develop those skills or do not respond. Some children will have regular hearing assessments as they, for example, receive medications or treatment that can cause the hearing loss. And then we can, through the monitoring of hearing, often detect hearing losses before the person can notice any impact on their daily lives. And in some cases, parents or the children themselves notice a change in hearing, hearing loss in one or both ears. In the school setting, it's rather unusual that the school is the first who raises concern. Although if they do that, then usually other people had suspicions before as well. So it's always worthwhile to follow this up. And the only way to do this is then for the child to have a proper hearing assessment. Though hearing impairment obviously can hugely impact other systems or modalities of development, particularly speech and language, could you talk a bit more about the relationship between hearing impairment and speech and language delay or developmental delay? There are conditions which might go along with affecting the child's development at the same time as affects the hearing. And sometimes it's difficult to tell apart if it just goes alongside each other or if one is caused by the other. And sometimes you have the contributing factor as well. So you want to make sure in a child who has developmental delay and particular speech and language delay, maybe for other reasons, you want to make sure that their hearing is absolutely perfect to give them the best chance to develop their speech and language. But obviously, if you can't hear and you don't have access to another language, such as British Sign Language or other sign languages, then you can't develop your language skill and the further development of your communication and learning of the environment and what's happening around you is significantly impaired as well. So they're all well connected to each other and you always need to look for it. And it depends on the early diagnosis and early management and aiding or hearing aids or other things for this child in order to enable them to hear well and therefore develop their speech and language in the best possible way. And are there any points in development of an infant or child where it's even more important to have good hearing than at other points? So, for example, key points in development where to not have hearing would actually really disadvantage a child. Yeah, it's actually one of the key points why we developed the newborn hearing screening program, because the earlier you can intervene, the more good you can do and the benefit for that child are incredible. Um, study done uh, many, many years ago preceding the newborn hearing screening actually showed that if you aid a child before six months of age, that the long-term outcomes of a child with hearing loss are significantly better than if you aid them later. And considering that before implementation of the newborn hearing screening, we had a detection of hearing loss around two years of age. And this has been brought forward for those severe to profound hearing losses, even to under six months. And not only that, but actually being able to have fitted hearing aids and provide the child's brain some input. This is quite crucial. So even in, before a child is born, actually in the prenatal periods, the auditory system begins to develop in the wound 
and then continues to develop early brain connections. So exposure to sound, even during the perinatal period, can have an impact on the development of the auditory system. We then have stages in infancy where within the first few months of life, which are critical for the further development of the system, as the brain rapidly develops and makes connections in the way that they will lay the foundation for future learning. Then in the period between two and five years of age, which again has some critical elements as the children are learning the higher levels of language, develop their communication skills, their interaction with their peers, which in humans is based on communication and being able to hear and communicate while our language. Then during adolescence, the brain again undergoes significant changes and the auditory system is there, no exception. And this is the time when many individuals start to develop an interest in music and other forms of auditory stimulation, which again can have further impact on their brain development. We know that the ability to separate sounds from each other are particularly fine-tuned during that period. So what's how the auditory system is able to analyze and comprehend the more challenging acoustic environments during that time. It, it's nothing is laid in stone during the period. So the, the plasticity of the auditory system is immense, but Nina Cross has done immense research in this area. And for her, these milestones in brain development and the ability to hear during those seem to be quite crucial. And the outcome of that has been shown in various publications since. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating that there seem to be these really, really key critical times. And I guess just reinforces how important the newborn hearing screen has been, that it allows us to pick up these these issues yeah. early and, and instigate changes early. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that's all we've got time for in today's episode. But please listen out next week for part two, where I'll be joined by Dr. Hendricks again to discuss a little bit more about the assessment of hearing impairment as well as the management. Thank you for listening to this episode of Master the MRC-PCH. We would love to get your feedback about the episode and get your ideas for future topics that you would like to hear covered. You can find a link to our feedback page in the description for the episode or email us at digital.learning at gosh.nhs.uk. If you want to hear more about the work of the Gosh Learning Academy, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn or visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.